hope you feel uh, slightly refreshed after that brief break. We are going to jump straight back in. So. Uh, Tim mentioned at the beginning, we've got uh, the diagram, we're working away our, our way through the journey uh, of a guest going from first time to being a fully integrated member of a church, and we're currently in this third point of oozing hospitality, so there are lots of the really practical things we can do to make sure guests are well integrated and well cared for, and let me just see where we're up to on our, oh, no, we're going to need to go back a little bit. We're in this uh, diagram, and so we've talked about the congregation, we've talked about facilities and signage, hosts, cafe teams, kids leaders, info desk, food coffee, MC preacher, info cards and announcements. So we've got just two things to chat about a little bit further before we jump into that next section. Uh, so we just finished up talking about announcements and welcome cards, and I had some good chats with you about that in the afternoon tea break, but jumping into follow-up. So follow-up is just such an important part uh, of what a church should be doing. And so once you've got a person's details, it's really important you do actually make sure that you follow them up. That's the purpose of getting their details and that they're probably thinking that as well. If they're a guest, they're probably thinking, well, I've given them something. I'm expecting to hear something back. So there's a few different approaches uh, to follow-up. There's, there's actually many different ways that you can do it. Um, and depending on your context, uh, you know, that will obviously vary. But as a general will, we, as a general rule, we kind of feel like you should follow people up differently, whether it's their first time, whether it's their second time, or whether it's their third visit. So we think those uh, forms of follow-up should look actually a little bit different for each of those three different people groups. Now, naturally, if you're dealing with really large numbers of people, then your follow-up is going to need to be more generic. It's going to be um, more just kind of get that follow-up system up and running and and rolling quite smoothly. Whereas if you've got uh, not a huge number of people that you need to follow up, that's a great opportunity that you have to be more personal in that, whether it's uh, with a call or with a text, something more personal, whereas something a bit more larger scale generic might be more of an email type thing. Um, but what's, either way, whatever your context is, whatever the situation is, what's really important is that you have a follow-up system and that you stick to it because there's no point treating one guest really well and one letting one guest slip through the cracks. And so, as, a, for, as an example, we send emails and as I said, as we said about lots of things over this session, the way we've done follow-up has evolved over the last four years. It started um, personal and targeted. Now we sit kind of in the middle. It's not ultra generic, but it's much more, um, it's much more generic than it was, but we still send an email to every first timer whom we're able to send one to if we have their details. The Monday after the, that specific Sunday just prior, we send a similar but slightly different email to all of our second timers. And then once a month, we send an email to all of our people who haven't taken a next step. And that email says, what's your next step? So that's once a month. Once a month. So on Mondays, a targeted email to first and second timers. And then once a month, everyone gets a, hey, what's your next step? How can we help you better connect with in the life of church. Now, um, we have all of these email templates available for you to check out. I'll point, direct you to that just shortly, but they are available just so you can see what we're doing. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we are seeing lots of uh, new people every week. And so because of that, our, our 
uh, follow-up has gone from very personalised to more generic. But that doesn't mean it has to be like super autopilot. This person's, it's really clear that you actually haven't put much uh, effort into it. Um, you can still make those very nice, um, very clear, very, make sure that person feels like they're warmly welcomed and warmly connected. Um, we now see it as our prime responsibility to make sure someone, uh, a guest, knows what they need to do. So once upon a time, we would say, hey, you specifically, you should do this, or you specifically, you should do this. Now we go, hey, these are the options you need to self-direct. That's just the size of the church that we're at now. People self-direct. And that Praise God, has been working quite well. So, as you think about um, follow-up, do, do we have two people in the crowd who'd like to offer suggestions for how they do it or any specific questions on follow-up? Just two people. Hi. Sorry, just quickly, I might have just missed it. Mm -hmm. You say you've got specific designated teams that do follow-up? It's a membership person. So, it's the girl I talked about prior who collates our welcome card information, our host report information. She's also responsible for pushing through that follow-up. We got her to start doing it at the start of the year. So prior to that, I was I was responsible for that. But we've actually been able to, praise God, pass that to a responsible, high-capacity volunteer. Yeah. Who I think is better at it than me, to be honest. So <laughs> one more. Yes. So with our Connect team, I try and allocate um, someone on the Connect team to be the key contact. Yep. On board. That's fantastic. Just in case you didn't hear, uh, at this church we've got a key person on the Connect team is allocated to each new guest, and so that key person will follow that new guest through that journey, which, wow, what that's fantastic. Uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, that's great. All right, so let's keep pressing ahead. Uh, the eighth thing, oopsies, uh, in the top right there is next steps. So we have talked about next steps a lot, but what are, what are we really talking about? We're talking about the pathway. So emphasise the pathway. That graph, graphic that we had at the beginning demonstrated that a guest is going to go on a journey as they connect more and more into the life of your church. That's the pathway. How can you make it really clear for them what their next step is uh, if and when they are ready to jump further into the life of church. It's so critical that they know what they're supposed to do. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the key next steps at Grace City are explore or explore group for non-Christians and on board for Christians. So these are two things that people hear about all the time. They're announced almost every Sunday. Our congregation members know what they are. There's flyers about them on the info desk they're, and they're also um, pointed to in that follow-up email that I've just mentioned. So they hear about them all the time and they know that if they are going to take a next step into the life of the church or to use that bridge language that we talked about earlier, if they're going to cross that bridge into that next phase of church life, then they need to participate in either explore or onboard. Now, it's worth saying, well, why don't you have other next steps? You might have other next steps in the life of your church. Um, we've had you know, an, an alternative as well. Once upon a time, we had something called Q&A. Um, that worked really well in the early stages of church life. It was for people who weren't quite kind of ready to uh, go deep down a path but wanted to find out a little bit more. So Q&A used to run at Tim's house, our lead pastor's house, and it was a small group of people. We had tea and coffee and the chance just to ask questions 
questions. As church grew um, and Tim and Emma's context, as his wife Tim and Emma's context changed, uh, they we moved that to church. We found that it lost its personal touch, um, so it. The Q&A changed and it wasn't really serving that same purpose. It became a bit too similar to On Board, which was another opportunity for people to ask questions at church. And so that was a time where we said, well, is this next step still serving its purpose? And it, and it really wasn't. And so we got rid of it there. Um, so that's a good opportunity as well as you assess your church and you think about the next steps that you have, you might like to ask, well, are all of our next steps achieving a purpose? Um, the purpose that they're supposed to achieve? Also, do our guests no, are they clear enough or is it muddy? Is it, oh, am I supposed to go to on board or am I supposed to go to Q&A or, or newish or, or whatever you've got happening? Um, so in terms of an additional next step we have, but it kind of is a little blip on the pathway, we've added something called Newcomers Night, uh, which you don't have to be taking a formal next step via uh, on board or via explore. Newcomers Night is a, an additional way to connect, but it can kind of start and stop there if that's what the newcomer would like it to do. So that's just a chance to hang out, a social night, uh, enjoy t uh, tea and coffee and dessert together and chat. There's nothing formal about that night, but we started that because we recognised some people weren't connecting relationally as well as they would have liked to or we would have liked them to. So that was something we started and will continue until it stops serving its purpose as well. But you might have other next steps, but really the primary question you want to ask yourself is, is our pathway clear? Do our guests know what their next step should be and how they can access those next steps? So, quick summary of our diagram. We've talked about the congregation, we've talked about facilities and signage, hosts, cafe and kids teams, food and the info desk, the MC and the preacher, announcements and welcome cards, follow up and next steps. All these things should be captured under our desire to ooze hospitality to make sure for all the guests who come in they know that we're Firstly, delighted that you are here. And secondly, we would love for you to stay and come back again. So oozing hospitality. Now, I'd love to point you to, um, we've got uh, lots of additional resources and particularly, you know, we've got the welcome cards, we've got our email templates, we've got everything, we've put it on a website for you guys to access. So on the very front of your booklet is that website. It's gracecity.com.au slash membership. You can look at it afterwards if you like. The password is Reach Australia, as indicated in that reddish box there. And all of our resources are there to be helpful. And of course, if you have any questions about those specific things or even broader things related to those, you can contact us via info at gracecity.com.au. Uh, I'm going to invite up Tim. So we're going to, uh, the plan was to do this before the break, but we might still have a chance for just maybe three questions because we've presented a lot. And so we do want to give you an opportunity to engage and ask questions. Before we do that, though, Amy, I've got one question uh, because you have given us heaps of stuff. I'm looking at this. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Uh, that was something mentioned up the back earlier. So what should I do? Great question. <laughs> um, so... Oh, actually, on this via this slash membership resource page, we've put on there an assessing your church questionnaire. So one of the first things that's really important is that you know where your church is up to, um, because sometimes it's not as glamorous as you think, or maybe sometimes you're doing way better than you realised. So uh, we would encourage you maybe this afternoon to fill that out and see actually how your church is going. So take that time to assess where your church is up to. But more importantly than knowing where it's at is knowing what to do next. And 
And so as you look at your questionnaire, as, as you look at your results, it's really tempting to kind of go, uh-oh, weak spot, all the resources, all the money, all the good things into the weak spot. Now that's... Uh, understandable reaction, but actually not the best reaction. The way we want to respond is by asking where are we going to get most bang for buck? How are we going to get most fruit from minimum effort? Okay, so you don't necessarily have to look at the gaping hole. What you want to think about is how can we get most fruit for a minimum effort? Because all churches lack resources. That's a reality. And so as we want to be good stewards of the money and the people and the time that God has given us, if you ask me, Amy, what's the secret? Where is the most bang for buck? I would personally say, and I checked this with Tim to see if he agreed with me, <laughs> it's in that connection phase. It's in the to be really tangible, it's in the welcome card and it's in the hosting team. Because if people don't even get that opportunity to connect, then there's really not much you can do after that. If you don't have someone's details, any, any information about them, then the ball is going to remain in their court until they want to do something with it. Where if you've got something, if there's just a tiny bit of a relationship formed, if you know that they just moved into the area or they're looking for a new church or you've got an email or a phone number, that's where you can make sure you can be really proactive in following them up and connecting them more. Whereas if the ball hangs out in their court, then you just have to prayerfully play that waiting game. So that's what we would say. Uh, the secret we think most bang for buck comes in that connection, uh, a welcome card and a hosting team to be really tangible. And remember that Back to the key ingredients of a biblical community, the team of helpers. Uh, you do not have to get up on Sunday, welcome your community, preach a sermon, go and get pick up the kids and then greet everyone new. Get your team of helpers and there will be people who are really gifted at this in the life of your church to help you with that. For the record, uh, Tim Clemens is not directly, invo directly involved in any of these things except preaching, but he's directly involved in leading a team of staff who lead a team of high-capacity volunteers, who lead a team of just regular volunteers who help us as we try to do this ecosystem thing every Sunday. That's the answer. Thanks for answering my question, Amy. <laughs> uh, so, open to others. Let's just go two or three. Yeah, yep. Mark. Um, so, just in regards to follow-up, uh, somebody said to me that when a person arrives at your church, they've already gone through so many barriers to get there, they actually expect to be followed up. So yeah. that's just a statement. But my question is, you, you said your uh, follow-up has changed from being really personal to more right, systemized. Has that got to do with size of congregation or growth stage of your church? How have you sort of worked through that and yeah, where you're up to now? Yeah, it, it has mostly been size in terms of, sorry, the question was how have we, why have we changed our follow-up um, and how has that worked? It was the quick version of the question. Um, so we, for example, when I used to follow someone up, I could say, hi Jenny, it was, and I met Jenny because we didn't have 100 people at church, we had 40. It was so great to meet you on Sunday. I'm glad you're settling into the area. Here's your next steps. I'd love to see you at church next Sunday. So what we've had to do now is just tidy up the, oh, Amy, who even though I don't send the emails, they're sent on behalf of me. So they'll come from my email address so that I can reply if they reply. Uh, 
Amy Townsend from Grace City Church, so great to have you with us on Sunday. Still very nice, still very um, personable, but generic, I can say that to everyone, here are your next steps. So that's how that's gone. As your original question was, why has it gone that way? Basically, um, we can't meet everyone who's new. There's too many people there now. And also we've transitioned from we are going, here's, here's um, what you should do, uh, Jenny, because you're a Christian, you should come to on board to, hey, here's what we've got available, come on over. So we tried to put the ball a little bit more in their court and people are self-directing more. But just to the first comment that you made of people have gone through so many things to get to church, oh, you should have been us when we planned the session because Tim's going to talk about that in just a minute. <laughs> Do you want to, there was a question at the start about triage, do you want to make, because uh, it builds into our mission stuff, do you want to comment about triaging that idea? Sure, just um, for the recording, the question is, do, question is, how do we go about evangelising in this process? Do we jump straight in? Do we equip our people? How do we make sure we are mission-minded in participating in this triangle? Um, and But there was a question earlier about triage as well. So, as we have next, uh, as we have guests coming through and I suppose the first way we gather information about them as we said already is our hosts asking them questions, getting to know them and then reporting on that. So that's the first way we start to get to know who are the people who are coming to this church. Um, are they people who don't know about Jesus? Are they people who are looking to dig deeper? Are they people who've been out of church for a while? So that's kind of the, the hosts start having those conversations and uh, it's, it's not the nicest word, but they report on that. And so the staff find out that information and the other hosts who are primarily involved in that connection phase find out that information. Now, as we think about our pathway, we do have on board for, the, for Christians and we do have explore for those exploring the faith. And so from that very early stage, that very early triage, our mission team, jumps in. Now they have specific purposes, they uh, have specific avenues like Explore, like Explore Group, but also they have people who are on the mission team who are floating around on Sundays as well. So they're people who are intentionally, and because Explore Group, Explore and Explore Group runs almost every Sunday, they're there and they're often, you know, excited to go, well, why don't you stick around for one o'clock free lunch explore? And so often people who are investigating the faith stay for explore that very day, which is just amazing, amazing in the busy, busy society that we have now. Praise God for that. Um, but then sometimes, you know, we might not notice. We might, we might not notice someone. They kind of talk like a Christian. They've been in and out of church. We're not sure. And then they come along to on board, which we will talk about shortly. And we hit them with five biblical principles of the Christian life. And they're sitting there going... Oh, I oh, okay, I don't I don't fit that model. And sometimes they self-assess and they think, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Or sometimes on board is a great opportunity for us to connect with them more and get to know them more. And we go, I don't think that person's a Christian. And so we can loop them back and go, hey, before you jump in here a bit deeper, um, why don't you check out Explore and just refresh yourself on what what uh, the Christian faith actually is all about. Story on that, we had a, a lady come through on board, thought she was a Christian, did on board, realised she's not a Christian, mm. uh, went back, went to explore, started meeting up with someone and they became a Christian just all in kind of the last 
between quarter four last year and quarter one this year. So massive success. Yeah. And then she had to go home to Mexico and yeah. we connected with her at church over there and now she's, you know, it's great. <laughs> Did that, I feel like that loosely answered your question, but feel free to catch us after if you want more specifics. One more, perhaps? Do you have any advice on, I guess this might be the implementation question, but uh, the church is four years old, and so this seems to have a bit of an energy around a, a new church with people mm. willing to try new things. Yeah. Uh, I look at it, I think it'd be fantastic if we do it at our church, but there's a whole bunch of questions that I have about culture change. Mm. Um, do you find that, um, do you have, I guess, any advice on, uh, on how much... On, on churches that might be established congregations, 15, 20 years old. It's good. Uh, I will be speaking not out of experience here, but generic principles, and so therefore they may be helpful or they may not be. Can I get a show of hands? Does anyone feel like they've got a response to that? For the sake of time, I might not ask you to give it now, um, but is there a resource that is going to be better equipped than I to answer that question Sorry. The question is, what about an established church? How would you go about implementing some of these things in my context? Well, maybe it's just the cynic, but if you just start recruiting some people and doing it on Sunday, I reckon the rest of the congregation isn't going to care because they're not doing it and you're not asking them to do it. They're just glad someone's doing it. But you start being, creating a, setting up a team, creating a culture. Yeah. Okay. So beginning, maybe, maybe it is back to what Amy shared before about Beginning with the connection and your host teams start, you build the construct, work on that over time, that starts to shape a culture and maybe that's slow going, maybe you can't roll it all out in one go. Uh, maybe Dominic down the front would be a resource to speak to. Do the evening church first. Okay, do the evening church first. Okay, great. Then you can prove the concept. That's really helpful. We might, uh, is there a... So, Yep. Yep. Okay, so another person saying start with the evening service. I presume that's because they're slightly younger, so maybe more adaptable, more flexible, beautiful. There you go, there's some thoughts, Lee. We'll start an evening service and then you can start it in the evening service. Yeah, that's good. All right, thanks, Amy. So where are we? As I said, we're going to try and race. It's still a fair bit of content to get through, so we'll kind of try and keep racing. By way of reminder, where have we been? We've seen, number one, biblical convictions. Number two, we talked about that integration pathway. Number three, we've just been looking at that kind of triangle. So you'll notice each of these diagrams sort of represent uh, the key diagram as we go through. We're now jumping into that upside-down triangle, which we're calling inside the guest's head. And so... Uh, so far we've explored you know, the key bridges someone needs to cross in order to join our church and how oozing hospitality as a church can help guests along that journey. Uh, in this section, really what we want to do is explore, uh, is move away from you as a church and just enter briefly, if you like, take a, a minor detour into the mind of the guest as they're coming along to your church. Now, there's actually multiple benefits in doing this, and you might be able to pick some up as we go through. I'm not going to major on all of the benefits. Rather, the primary focus of the primary reason that we want to look at this triangle is to help illustrate the importance of defining for your guests what it actually means biblically to join your church in membership. 
And so maybe just spend a brief moment with those around you, discuss how does your church define uh, membership? Or, or think about it this way. Um, when does your church consider someone as having joined you? Chat, chat about that for a moment. When has someone joined your church from your perspective? <laughs> I might pull you back if that's okay. Just a quick one there. Now, depending on the church, uh, we've got lots of different churches represented in the room. Depending on the church, we probably each have slightly different ways of defining when someone we consider as the church, them having joined us. Uh, so for some, it might be really clear. It'll pivot around a membership course or some form of membership interview. Uh, but for others, it might be maybe more vague or, or perhaps undefined. So maybe it's, well, this person's just been around for a while. You know, they've joined our church. Or maybe it's they've joined a community group or a small group. They've joined our church or they're now serving. Now they've joined our church or perhaps for some they've started giving. That means they've joined our church. Now, we're an Anglican church um, and at least according to the constitution of the Anglican church, you can be a member with full voting rights in our AGM if you've usually attended services in the last in three out of the last 12 months. Now, I love the Anglicans. But that is, that is horrible. Um, because first, it doesn't, strictly speaking, it doesn't define what usually attending services means. You also don't, strictly speaking, need to be a Christian. I mean, communicant member is the language, but it's, it's pretty shocking. Now, that being said, uh, I think we can appreciate that, that maybe there's a difference between, if you like, constitutional membership in the legal entity and spiritual membership in a local body of believers. And so, really, we're, we're just trying to draw a distinction between those two things. Uh, we're talking about the second one, spiritual membership in the body of believers in a particular uh, location. Either way, what we've just highlighted are the various points at which we think of our guests as joining our church. But what I want you to do now is just take a moment and consider what your guests think. Now, when do they think they've joined your church? Well, this is what I want to, the key takeaway from this whole, you know, point four, is basically unless you define it for them, they'll consider themselves as having joined your church whenever they think that your church is their church. But here's the thing. That could happen at any point and for any reason. And so to illustrate what I mean, uh, I hope this doesn't ruffle any feathers, but um, take a look at the upside-down triangle. Now, this is an adaptation of what's called the consumer buying process. It's like a marketing thing. Don't hate me. Just roll with me for a moment. I've changed the language from buy this product to, to join this church. But aside from that, it is pretty much the same for anyone, uh, whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian, who's deciding that they want to join your church. Now, before we look at each of these steps, let me just try and make something clear. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's biblical or not, these are, I would suggest, the mental steps that every single guest is going to go through in their head before they actually join your church. 
And so therefore you can either take note of them and use them to your advantage or ignore them to your disadvantage. But either way, these are the six mental steps every guest is going to take as they take steps into the life of your church. So for example, they'll begin by recognising a problem. Right? They need to find a church to join. Now, they may be a non-Christian who's interested in finding out about Jesus. They may be a de-church person who's been out of church for years and is thinking, oh, maybe I should get back into it. They may be a disgruntled Christian who, for better or worse, doesn't like their church. Or maybe they're a Christian mature and they've changed jobs, changed house, they've moved into the area, they're looking for a church to join. Either way, they won't look for a new church until they've recognised the problem. Once they've recognised the problem, they're going to research their options. Now, depending on the individual, they may do this through friends or through Google or social media or even just Google Maps. It is crazy how many people have found our church using Google Maps, you know, churches near me, and, oh, I'll go to that one. Crazy to me, but just as an aside... This would suggest that if you haven't sorted out your website or your Google presence, you're missing a massive opportunity, so well worth paying attention to that side of things, but that's a slightly different seminar. Um, Next is the evaluation of the alternatives. And so again, this will look different depending on the individual. So most non-Christians probably don't know any better. Uh, They're just going to turn up to the first church that they hear about. Many Christians, however, are a little more picky. Now, that might be because they're rightfully discerning, or it might just be because they're selfish and they're selfishly searching for a church that's going to meet all my needs. Either way, they'll be looking for a few key things. In particular, I would suggest that the kinds of things they might be curious to know about this church that they're considering joining will be what's your theology, maybe what's your denomination, if you have one, what's your style of music, uh, what's the state of your kids' ministry if I have kids, and For better or worse, do these people look like me and do I feel like I could belong in this particular church? Now, uh, some studious individuals may do all of that evaluating before they ever step into your church and they'll do it using your website, which again is just, as an aside, worth paying attention to some of these things and maybe answering some of these questions in your website. But uh, most people, at least we've found in our context, uh, you know, they'll pick one or two churches, maybe three churches, and they want to shop, for lack of a better word. Uh, Next comes the join decision. Now, as a church, you may have, at this point, passed some of their initial... That doesn't mean, though, that you've got a green light. It just doesn't mean you've got a red light yet. In other words, you haven't failed the test, but you haven't necessarily passed. Um, Often the decision to actually join the church will be influenced by things like, you know, has this person connected with others? Uh, Do they get a sense that they've got something to contribute and, and they'll feel needed at this church? And I I think increasingly, uh, am I excited by the vision of this church, you know, where this church is going? And so, again, I think some of those things might be worth keeping in mind in your membership course or interview, perhaps, um, but we'll touch on those a little later. Next comes the moment they actually join your church. But again, this is the key principle. This is the whole reason that I wanted to go through this. Unless you define what joining your church actually means your guests will define it for themselves. Now, if they're a mature Christian, that could be great. But for many people, by making the decision to what they call join your church, you know, this is now my church, what they could be saying is, yeah, this is the place I'm going to come every couple of months to get my spiritual shot in the arm. This is the place I'm going to come to consume my religious goods and services. This is the church that I'm going to come to to meet other single Christians. This is the church that I'm going to come to when I feel like it. 
Again, unless you define what joining your church actually means, people are going to define it for themselves. And unfortunately, what that means is that you are missing what I would suggest is one of the most critical discipleship moments for your people as they enter the life of your church. And again, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, the final step in our little inverted triangle is what we call the post-join decision, sorry, evaluation. It's kind of where someone's like, did I join the right church? Now, honestly, I suspect this question never really ends. Uh, the longer someone's been at your church, though, the less regularly they'll probably ask it. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's biblical or not, these are the steps that everything, everyone will go through in deciding to join your church. You may think it's totally pagan, uh, you may wish it wasn't true, but I would suggest it's just a fact. The thing is, there is power in recognition. And so once you know what people are thinking, you can start to reverse engineer some of your systems and structures to help meet their needs and actually disciple them, which is what we care about, into the life of your church. And so again, the key reason I think just being aware of this is so important is that it highlights the importance for us as church leaders of defining for people what membership in our church, according to the Bible, is all about. So let's think about the membership course. Uh, so far, we've seen why it's so important to define for people what it means to join your church. That is, if you don't define it for them, they will define it for themselves. But now I want to just spend a little bit of time fleshing out, all right, well, how do we want to define it? Or, more importantly, how does God want us to define what it means to be a member of a church? And so, to kick us off, uh, I might invite you to just chat again with the people around you. Take a moment... Uh, see if you can flesh out what you might be some of the biblical expectations of church members. What does God expect of the people in your church? Go for it. Have a chat about that for a while. I'll pull you back. I know that's a little shorter than I had hoped, but uh, again, time will just start to get away from us. As far as I can tell, and you should have this in your booklets, there's at least four different areas of expectations that the Bible has for biblical church members. Now, there's lots of overlap, I would suggest, between them. You might be able to think of others. That's fine. 
But I think there is some benefit in sort of distinguishing between these four areas. The first is what we'll call faith expectations. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 assumes that there will be non-believers present in the, gap, the church gathering, but they don't seem to be thought of as church members, right? The NIV calls them unbelievers or inquirers. In other words, they're people who need converting before they're considered members of the body of Christ. And so therefore, kind of, the first expectation the Bible has of church members is that they will be or they'll have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, membership in the local church really ought to just be a manifestation and a consequence of membership in the heavenly church. And I think Ray touched on that a touch earlier. But the Bible also has certain holiness expectations, right? Christians ought to be taking off the old self and putting on the new self, right? God's intent for us as his children is that we would grow to be transformed into the image and likeness of God. In fact, persisting in public and unrepentant sin in the Bible can at times lead to church discipline, which is kind of a way of saying something. You're not living like a child of God ought to. Maybe it's because you're not actually a Christian. And so the second expectation of a church member is that they will be growing in holiness. Uh, the third expectation the Bible has of church members is that they'll serve one another. And so since all Christians have been uh, gifted by the Holy Spirit for the common good, we're expected to use those gifts to serve and build up the body. And then the fourth category is what I call relationship expectations. This is the idea that we're not just called to love everyone in general. We are called to love in particular, the members of our local church, right? They're the one another's that we are called to one another in the commands to love one another. On top of that, there's also a series of commands throughout the Bible urging the sheep to willingly come under the authority of the shepherds who keep watch over them. And so church members are in relationships both with other members, these are the people I need to love, as well as willing submission to the authority of the shepherds who oversee that church. And so as far as I can tell, those are some of the key biblical expectations for church members. So we're going to jump into uh, the membership course and you know, some specifics around that. But can I just get a, a show of hands? Uh, and I'm happy to use, let's go official course first, then interview. Uh, and then, well, show of hands, uh, does, who here runs some form of an official membership course in your church? All right, beautiful, really helpful. Uh, others, uh, some form of official interview maybe before someone jumps in? Okay, handful of us, great. That's really helpful just to know uh, who's in the room and what we're doing. So why run a membership course? Sounds like many of us are already doing this. Be helpful to consider why are we doing this if well, the church down the road does it, uh, so we should do it. Why, what are the benefits of the membership course? Well, uh, I'm going to use the language of course somewhat loosely here. Uh, for some of us, it might be an actual course. For others, maybe it's just a one-on-one -on -one chat over coffee. Either way, I think some kind of membership course or interview in your church is absolutely critical. That's because we need a way of communicating to our guests that joining our church in membership is not simply saying, hey, I'd like to stand, uh, come here and listen to the sermons more regularly and sing the songs a bit more if that's okay with you guys. Right, that's a deficient view of church membership. We need a way of letting guests say, hey, church membership is about saying, I'm going to commit myself to growing in holiness and serving others in the context of this particular body of Christ. And I'm going to take upon myself the expectations and obligations of loving and caring for others in this body. And, 
as they will take on the expectations and obligations of loving and caring for me. And furthermore, I'm going to do it all under the authority of those leaders who keep watch over God's flock in this church. I think that's what God expects of biblical church members. And so unless we find a way to communicate that to our people, the chances are, so before they join our churches, the chances are that many of them won't think and act like this. And furthermore, they'll think it's weird and inappropriate if you ever call them out for not acting like this. Because you never explained this at the beginning. How was I to know? And so therefore, before it's about anything else, I want you to see the membership course or interview or whatever you call it as a discipleship moment. It is your best opportunity to define for your guests what God's expectations of them are for biblical church members and then show them how they can live out those expectations in the context of your church community. So primarily, I think the membership course ought to be about discipleship, but there are one or two other benefits, and I'll suggest those now. The first has to do with casting vision. Right? Not only, uh, it, uh, this not only helps to give people confidence that you've actually got a plan, and you know, ideally under God the church is going somewhere, I think it also helps them to get excited by where you're going and start to imagine how they can contribute to that vision. Second benefit of the membership course is it enables relationships to form. Right, so if you only have enough people to do a one-on-one -on -one coffee with a new member, that's fine. At the very least, that allows relationships with you, the pastor, or whoever you are, to start to form. But once you start to build a little bit of critical mass and start to gather several guests together, they then can not only build relationship with leadership, they can also build relationships with one another, which is critical for people feeling like they can integrate into church life. And also, it's often the new people in church who are more open to developing new relationships, whereas those who've been around for a little longer, for better or worse, are often a little more relationally saturated. And so putting them in a context where they can form relationships is really helpful for new members. A final benefit of the membership course is that it enables you to filter out some of the people that shouldn't be members of your church in the first place. And I think this maybe was a question uh, that happened at some point, or maybe it was Mikey, maybe, I can't remember now. Uh, right, being upfront about what you believe, where you're going, and what God expects of biblical church members can be a really good way to filter out some of the members who might be divisive down the track or other members who are in public and in unrepentant sin. In our context, we've actually found that people want some people come to us and want us to bless their lukewarmness. Uh, hey, it's okay that I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and, uh, or I'm living with my boyfriend even though we're not married. Having some kind of course and then uh, follow-up conversations allows us to say, actually, no, that's not right. Uh, you're contrary, living contrary to what the Bible uh, teaches. And so in our context, yeah, we've lost a handful of potential members through having some of those awkward conversations around that point. But at the same time, we've found others who've actually grown because someone's had the guts to call them out on something, whereas they've come from other places where that was totally fine. Or at least no one ever really talked about it. Amy, over to you. So as we think about membership courses, there's, there's just always a bunch of frequently asked questions. So we thought we would uh, address some of those to start with and then think about uh, or share about how Grace City runs its membership course. Um, so some of those frequently asked questions. The first one is just who should run it? Who should run your membership course? Uh, well, your senior pastor should really 
be the person to run it or your senior pastor with uh, a team of key leaders or staff because the senior pastor is the person at your church who is likely, most likely to embody the vision of the church. He ought to be the one who's most passionate about uh, where the church is going. Uh, he might be or should be one of the best teachers in the life of church and uh, because your senior pastor might be someone who's also preaching most weeks, he's someone that your church will be, uh, your guests will be coming really familiar with and it's very natural for them to want to get to know him more um, and a membership course really gives the opportunity for that to happen. So who should run it? should start with the senior pastor or senior pastor and key leaders or staff if that's an option as well. Uh, what day and time should you run it? Question two. Well, according to the book Membership Matters, approximately 80% of churches run their membership courses on Sundays before or after their church services. So this works on the assumption that at least if you run it on a Sunday, you know people will be able to or should be able to attend rather than putting on a night, a week, a week night where they might have prior commitments or kids uh, that need to be at home. Uh, also running it at church, so where should you run it? Running it at church on a Sunday creates just one less hurdle for people to attend. So rather than forgetting about that midweek um, membership course, they'll be at church on Sunday, they'll be prompted and they'll remember to go along straight after church that day. Question three, how often should you run it? Well, there's really two primary things you need to consider as you ask this question. Uh, the first one is, is your membership course the gateway into the rest of church life? Or in other words, uh, can people join a community group or a ministry team without doing your membership course? If they can, then running it quarterly seems to be enough. If they can continue getting involved not having done this membership course, then a quarterly course is a great option. Uh, because there's not really like any, you know, major character dangle at the end of the course, to be honest. Um, and people won't be too disappointed if they have to wait a little bit longer before jumping into that membership course. But if on the other hand, it is the gateway and things like community groups and ministry teams are only available if you've done the course, then you really need to run the course as often as you have people who want to get more connected um, because you never want to be a blockage for people getting more connected into the life of your church through community group or ministry teams. But the second factor to consider is how regularly you actually get potential new members along to your church. So the longer someone has to wait before they can jump into things like community groups, like ministry teams, uh, then the longer it will really take for them to feel connected, feel like they are part of this church. And so therefore it's less likely for them to join the church. So you really want to make sure that there aren't people waiting around to get connected because of your membership course. Don't make it a, an obstacle or a blockage. Make it a helpful step in the pathway. Uh, question four, how long should it be? Well, this really um, depends on the type of content that you want to include in your course. And you need to be aware, I guess, that there are positives and negatives to the length uh, of a course. And so we've got in the booklets just a table that has some things worth considering. So we'll just quickly zoom through those. So a long course, four to eight weeks, for example. The positive of that is a long course is more transformational than informational. This enables you to set people up to win and may save you work with them in the long run. You can teach deep theological distinctives as well as the disciplines of a godly life. Lots of time for leaders to get to know new members and where they're at in their faith and lots of time to build relationships with both leaders and other potential new members. So lots of positives to running a long course but on the other hand 
it is likely that if you run a long course, people will miss a week or two. So what do you do with that? Do you update them? Do you let it slide? It becomes a little bit more uh, of a task. A longer course means it runs less frequently because it's always running, so new people will have to wait until it starts again. Uh, and in transient areas um, where there's a lot of flux in the number of people in the community, some people might leave church within six to 24 months, and so a large investment of time right at the beginning could be an unwise or an unsustainable thing in the long run. You can see the medium is the two to three weeks, which kind of sits in that sweet spot. Uh, but thinking short, what are the positives of running a short membership course? One week. Well, everyone will be able to attend the whole course, you'd hope. <laughs> uh, and you're able to run the course more frequently so that if people can't make this one, they don't have to wait too long for the next one. And the shorter the course, the more people will be able to complete it. So you'll actually just have more members coming through your membership course. But on the other hand, there are some negatives to a short course as well. It's more informational than transformational. This means the members you get may not be as well conditioned, uh, and so you may need to do more work with them along the way after they've completed that membership course. Less time for the leaders to get to know the members and discern where they're at. Less time for members to build relationships with leaders and other potential members. And greater risk of overloading people by giving them more information than they can handle in that short period period of time that you've got for that course. So as you can see, positives and negatives, there's no silver bullet as we've heard today already. So it's really just about weighing your options in your context. And so we'd love to talk about what Onboard looks like at Grace City. We have run on board since the very beginning of Grace City's existence. Uh, and I'll tell you what, what it looks like in just a moment, but I really just want to say that over the four years, it has continued to grow and change and evolve to get to where it is now. So it's actually uh, been quite different over the last four years. So in the first year, on board, actually ran at Tim and Emma's house on a church on a Sunday uh, for two hours over two Sundays in a row. Uh, it ran about five times per year, and it was pretty common for maybe there to be one to three people in attendance. So quite a good little intimate community time together. It was it was really informal. Um, Tim would take the opportunity to share a little bit about the vision and the mission of the church, um, did a few mini Bible study sermons on some of those biblical principles that we think about as we think about church. That was the first year of Grace City. In the second year, uh, more people started to attend each on board. And so it moved from being at Tim and Emma's house to church. And it ran a little bit more, about six times per year. The number of people increased probably to three to eight people per on board. And so it kind of, trans because it, it didn't have time to evolve, really, it kind of transitioned into a bit of a boring monologue. Um, <laughs> So moving to the next two years after that, um, that was when we took time to refine the content of Onboard and we started to improve the presentation of everything. So we started, uh, we created a little booklet, we had some slides, we showed some videos, people got a welcome pack when they came in. Um, and by that stage, uh, it was about five to 15 people attending to each course, uh, attending each course. And, you know, the content uh, was a bit more refined by that stage as well. So then at the start of this, well, actually in December last year, Tim and I sat down and thought, okay, a little bit of, a lot of work needs to be done on this. Let's think, let's uh, go back to scratch. And so this year we gave the whole course a really significant makeover. And rather than uh, trying to shuffle and adjust what we had, we went, we reverse engineered it and we thought, 
how, what type of course will create the type of members that we want at Grace City Church? So if we start by thinking about the type of members that we want, how can we then think about the course that's going to equal that type of member? And so it is now a one Sunday afternoon at church. It runs for three hours instead of two with a little break between each of those hours. Uh, it runs once a month, so it's really regular, typically the first Sunday of every month if that works with the calendar. Uh, the content's changed quite a lot. We'll dig into that in just a moment. Um, but we've I mean, it's only June, but we've seen lots of great fruit from that new model. It's worth saying as well, we've got one of the onboard packs just down here if you wanted to look through it later with the information that we give out to people and those resources on the Slash membership site as well. So... All that to say is that if you don't have anything at the moment, an onboard course or a membership course, don't feel pressure to do what we do, uh, particularly as we share more about what we do, um, and particularly don't feel pressure if you're a new church plant. Um, Having people round to your house, if you're a lead pastor, for an afternoon tea is a great starting point. Tim often says, if I could do it again, I would just do a nice and simple afternoon tea at my house where I can just share uh, what we would love to do as a church and where we're going in that. But So there's some, some wisdom from Tim four years on. So what do we do now? We do one Sunday and three hours. And we're just going to quickly touch on what happens in each of those hours. So the first hour is all about the, hour one, it's all about the vision and the identity uh, and the mission of Grace City Church. And so we actually show a 10 minute video that tells the, a bit of the history and the story of our church, how it started, uh, what happened, particularly in its first year of life. The second thing we do in this hour is locate ourselves on the theological landscape. So a lot of the questions that come up on board uh, can be answered in uh, touching base on this theological landscape. So we present this diagram and basically these circles represent some of the different labels that people might put on a church or our church. Uh, and so in the capital letters, you'll see what you would label our church. And then in the small letters, it's kind of instead of this other label, which could be an alternative. Now, the way we describe this to the people out on board is actually uh, the closer you are to the centre is the more essential that label. Uh, it's worth saying as well, labels just there in inherently unhelpful, but for the sake of this discussion, let's just go with it. Uh, so uh, the closer you are to the centre, the more uh, helpful it is for you to identify with that label. You need to be a Christian uh, if you are coming to join our church as a formal member. Uh, but if you are Christian, Protestant and Evangelical, you'll actually find that you agree with lots of the theology that you hear here. You hear here. Uh, Reformed <laughs> and then Anglican. You know, it gets a little looser as we go out. Um, we uh, would define ourselves as Calvinists, um, but you don't have to be a Calvinist to come along to Grace City. And we define ourselves as Anglican, but you don't have to be Anglican to come along to Grace City. So, yeah, people who sit in those first three circles will feel very comfortable. Um, if you d uh, disagree with a Protestant or Evangelical, you might feel a little bit ruffled. So people just find that helpful to go, where is this church on the theological landscape? We talk through that diagram. And that gives uh, people uh, helpful clarity on where we fit among other churches. Uh, now then we pass to Tim for the second hour and I'll get him to jump up and explain what happens there. Sure, so we'll just race through this quickly, but the second hour is really where we try to flesh out the expectations of biblical church membership. Uh, we use the five M's at our church, and so uh, we use these five M's rather than some of those four categories I gave before. That was my attempt to give four categories without using 
same idea using different language for those of us who don't use M's. Um, but the goal that's worth saying, we used to try and it was more transformational than informational. We were trying to give deep theological justifications for all these M's. I have shifted in my thinking around that and gone, actually, because we've got so many people coming through quickly and they, they leave, uh, I just want to go for five mental mind frame shifts. Um, and so for each of those, uh, we'll kind of, I'll teach for a bit, we'll break it up with some questions, I'll teach for a bit, break it up with some questions. And so just a real quick example of these mind frame shifts. Uh, in magnification, we'll contrast worldly ways of thinking, where we're at the centre, everything revolves around me and all my plans, uh, with biblical thinking, where God is at the centre and everything revolves around him uh, and his purposes. Second of all is membership. There's actually two diagrams. This is only the second. Uh, we contrast worldly ways of thinking, which tend to exclusively shift into individualism or collectivism uh, with biblical thinking, which is kind of a healthy blend of both. Uh, and in this diagram, we kind of use this to teach people that local churches are really just earthly manifestations of the heavenly reality. So we're kind of trying to teach what biblical church membership is. Uh, in the next one, maturity. We try to say we contrast worldly thinking where maturity is all about being authentic to myself and discovering the true self within, whereas biblical thinking is where maturity is about putting on the new self created to be like God. We talk about uh, ministry, so we contrast worldly thinking where greatness is all about using my gifts and abilities to achieve personal accolades and success uh, with biblical thinking where true greatness is seen in serving others. And then we uh, do mission, we contrast worldly thinking where we tend to view people's needs according to their material wealth. And so on the left column, you, you know, they're the needless, whereas the needy people are the poor people. Now, yes, they might have needs, but actually biblical thinking, even the richest person in the world can be a spiritual beggar, or technically they're dead, aren't they? But um, I didn't want to put a picture of a dead person there. Uh, so just trying to communicate to people uh, that spiritual realities stuff, don't just look at people's physical needs notice the spiritual needs and that's what we need to keep alive in order to be on mission so there's a little bit about what we do that's all in one hour which has come for quick mental mind frame shifts and then we finish our third hour um, by kind of getting to the nitty-gritty of what's your next step if you're keen to become a member of Grace City and formally call yourself a member. So those next steps for that person would be joining a community group. We discuss what that will look like. Joining a ministry team when they can expect to be approached. And finally, we talk about financial giving and some of the Bible's teachings about that. And we touch on a giving booklet, which is a resource that we have available on the table down here. And then we finish our three hours all together by directing people to our membership creed, which is in the handouts. So our membership creed basically summarises everything we cover in the course in one place. We read, uh, I read it out loud. We don't make everyone read it out loud together. I read it out loud so we can all follow along. Uh, and then we tell people um, that we'll be in touch with them to see if they would like to commit to this relationship with Grace City Church, commit and become a formal member, put their roots down and call Grace City home. And so I think, yes, there's the creed. 
Um, so we definitely don't ask anyone to officially, officially sign their name to the creed or say it out loud. We've just found, and this came just at the start of this year with our revamp of On Board, we've found that this creed is a really helpful way for us to flesh out what it means to be a biblical church member in the context of Grace City. And all of these principles that are listed are what they have heard in that second hour that Tim just explained. They've heard it fleshed out. Here it is summarised for them. So... It's also worth saying that on board this three hours, it's not just fire hose of content and information. It's a, it's a lovely afternoon where there's a context of chatting with the guests, uh, enjoying food together, building relationships, having time to have some discussion questions and get to know what people think about different things. And so that potential members can get to know us and get to know one another and we can get to know them. And so for on board at the moment, uh, Tim's obviously there, I'm, I'm there and uh, Jade Hajj, who's one of the MTSs at church who looks after community groups. He comes along and he talks about community groups. Uh, so it's really great to have us there because we also talk about the next steps. I also am heavily involved in the ministry M at church, so I get to talk about the ministry team. Otherwise, we might have that a different person come in to talk about ministry teams as well, just so people can be really familiar with what their next step is. So just a quick show of hands, um, is anyone using some current form of membership creed or pledge or something similar in their church, just out of curiosity, some, yeah, okay, yeah, quite a few people. Well, we'd love just a very quick activity. Um, quickly read through this. As I said, it's in your handout, but I'll leave it on the screen as, well, screen as well. And maybe just discuss with your person next to your team around you the pros and cons of using a membership creed in your church context. Um, in other words, what would be great and what would be disastrous about you going home and implementing a membership creed in your church next week? Because it can seem like a daunting task or you might talk about it and think it's great, but it never happens. So let's um, land on what are some of the pros and cons and then Tim will be up to finish in just a minute. All right, we're on the home stretch. Uh, well done for sticking around to the end of a three-hour epic. Um, you know, one of the dangers Amy just outlined of the one-week course is that you're tempted to throw way too much information into a short period of time. You might be like, you guys have done that in this seminar. If we have, sorry. But uh, we got excited, so hopefully it's been helpful. Uh, the second, uh, so the final thing we really want to touch on here is this idea that membership is really just the beginning. And so the title of the workshop is called Community and Integration. And we mentioned at the start that the primary focus of the workshop would be on how to integrate people from first-time guests through to members of your church. That being said, it would be a massive mistake to think that our work was complete once we've managed to get someone to complete a membership course, right? Membership is actually the beginning of the process, not the end of the process. And so the whole point of getting them into the community, uh, sorry, the whole point of doing the membership course is to get them into the community. Why do we want them in communities? Well, remember, right back three hours ago, we established our biblical convictions. What are the, the reasons that biblical communities matter? It's because biblical communities glorify God. Uh, they provide a context in which Christians can one another one another. And they also provide the final apologetic to a lost world. Uh, but there is a fourth and... I don't know if it's final, but there's another uh, reason. I didn't mention it, but I think it's, it's beautifully brought out in the quote by Joseph Hellerman. It's on your handouts. It's from his book, When the Church Was a Family, and he says, Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. 
People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. And so people who stay also grow. People who leave do not. Read the first line again. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. And so that would suggest that integrating people into our church communities has actually got to be one of the most loving and uh, the best things that we can do for people. The thing is, once they're plugged in, what next? Once they're plugged in, how do we help to continue? So how would we help them to continue to grow in the context of those communities? Well, uh, there's three things that I'll try and finish with and then we can open up again to questions to take out the rest of the time. Number one, uh, you cannot microwave maturity. You cannot microwave maturity. And so as much as we'd love it if they did, People just don't come through your membership course perfectly mature. Uh, Even if you follow it up with other courses, they're not silver bullets. And so unfortunately, the process of growing to maturity in Christ is slow and it involves lots of setbacks along the way. And so this is where I think it's just important for all of us to remember how people actually grow, right? What, if I slightly crass, but what, what formula does the Spirit use to grow people to maturity in Christ? Well, I suggest it's there on your booklets. Word plus prayer in community times by time. If you've got the word, you've got prayer, and you've got people in community, you put them in that community and just let time go by as they go through the ups and downs of life. That's the formula that the Spirit will use to transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. It's how people grow. But if that's true, then that uh, community is an integral part of the spiritual growth, then, as I said before, the best thing we can do for our people is to plug them into and help them solidly get connected to as many communities of the word and prayer as possible. Which leads to my second uh, kind of thing to leave you with, which is church is just an ecosystem of different communities. And we've heard a bit about this already. Uh, So most churches will have at least two, though possibly three, separate communities within the one church that uh, members can belong to. So obviously, um, you've got the Sunday gathering, you've got the small group, whatever you call that, and you've got the ministry team, right, serving teams. Now, each of these groups are going to have different balance of word and prayer and community, depending on the group. Um, But it's critical to see that each of them play a a shared role in uh, forming and transforming the people who participate in them, Uh, though different depending on the community. So, for example, take the Sunday gathering. Uh, You might have heard of a guy named Robin Dunbar. Uh, He basically suggests that most people can really only maintain relationships with about 150 people. And so, therefore, while there is obviously immense benefit in us sitting together under the preached word and responding in prayer and praise, In the larger community, 
it's actually just also unrealistic to have deep relationships with every single person there on the Sunday. And so as church gets larger, we need to figure out ways to help church get smaller for our people. And so this is where small groups will come into play. Now, depending on the church, uh, your small groups might play a different function, may emphasise slightly different things. Maybe it's uh, growing deep in the word, maybe it's community, maybe it's mission. Uh, whatever their specific purpose, uh, probably all of us will have, they will be communities of the word and prayer. And so uh, you'll want to do everything you can to get people connected into them. Now, in our context, as Amy shared earlier with our creed or a member says, we make it clear that church membership is basically synonymous with being a member of a community group uh, at our church. Um, now, the, she said there's a few exceptions, but the reason we emphasise community groups so much is that we know that unless people belong to a community group at our church, they're almost guaranteed to feel relationally disconnected and spiritually stagnant. And people like that are really only one step away from disengaging with the church and often, therefore, the faith. And so it's just critical that we help people get plugged into small groups. The third community at church is the ministry team. Uh, now, even though the focus of our ministry teams, like our serving teams, isn't going to be the study of the Word and Prayer every single week for, in the same way that it is for our community groups. Um, doesn't mean you can't still have them as times where we open the Bible before we serve, those sorts of things. But also, the process of serving alongside one another is a really excellent way to get people uh, rubbing shoulders and in community and therefore uh, transforming and growing. And so I want you to see community, sorry, ministry teams not simply as good for your church. We all know that. Stuff needs to get done, so we need volunteers or we need servants. Ministry team aren't just good for your church, it's also good for the individual. And so therefore, again, you want to do everything you can to help people get plugged into ministry teams so they're serving, because that's a place where we can grow and be transformed. And so the more you can get people to participate in these kinds of communities, I think the more the Spirit will use them to grow your people over time. In fact, it may well be worth measuring the percentage of your members who are involved in each of these three kinds of communities, because uh, that can be a reliable indicator of spiritual health of your church. And so I've grabbed these uh, metrics, if you like, from Scott Sanders. Uh, he provided them for me. I think he stole them from uh, Gary McIntosh. But for example, uh, if your members attend your services an average of 70% of the time, Apparently, they're considered healthy. Um, if you have 65% or over 65% of members in small groups or 55% of your members who are serving, apparently that's considered healthy. Now, to be blatantly honest, I wouldn't get too caught up on the specific figures because uh, I do think it probably varies from context to context. What's healthy somewhere might be slightly different somewhere else. However, what I do think you want to focus on is crunching the numbers and just seeing how your church is going. Because you can't manage what you don't measure. And if you never measure anything, you'll never know what you need to work on and whether what you're doing is actually improving. And so if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to figure out what these figures are for your church and then see what you can do over time to increase them. Because that'll be on about helping people get more plugged into communities, which is ultimately going to result in spiritual transformation. Uh, just as a context uh, at our church, we actually have a live dashboard that syncs with our online database, which is Elvanto, uh, and kind of, this is just a snapshot of some of it, um, but this just sort of updates off the back of our Elvanto database system so that we know 
how we're going. So of our 215 members, the average attendance is 72% there on a Sunday. Um, those who are absent more than 50% of the time though are 24%, which is scary. Uh, moving to the next column, of the 215 members, 195 of them are in community groups, which is 91%, uh, and the average attendance at community group is 66%, and then uh, of our 215 members, 149 are serving, which is 69%, um, and I can't even read what that says, average serving week, so uh, 4.9. So there's just a little example of what that looks like in our context. Final thing to say uh, is keep watch. Uh, my hunch is it's out of a week, out of, so this is uh, of 12 weeks, how many weeks am I, as an average, likely to be serving? So 4.9. So, uh, so we try and encourage people to go two on, four off. So if you double that, that's four on, eight off, because we run on a six-week cycle. Two weeks, four on. So this is a summary of the last 12 weeks in our context, and because some people will be serving more than the two on, four off. Like some people are on two teams, so they'll serve four out of six. Um, that'll be why it's up to 4.9. No, because we want a minimum of in one team, but we wouldn't want to stop people from being serving more than that because some of them have capacity to serve four out of six. Some, if they're really gung-ho, it's probably not healthy, but, you know, um, at least in that formal capacity. So, no, I, I, I wouldn't... We're happy with more than four. Yeah. All right. Uh, final thing in our context, uh, sorry, final thing to say is just keep watch. So the final word to leave you with is an encouragement to keep watch over those you actually manage to integrate into your communities. So on your uh, outline should be Hebrews 13 verse 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now that's got to be one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Not only if you're a Christian do you need to give an account for yourself, but if you're a church leader on the last day, you're going to be asked to, at least according to this verse, give an account for the members of your churches. And so once we integrate people into our communities, we are responsible for them, for keeping watch and looking after them. And so therefore... Be careful not to get so caught up and, uh, in, the, in, the, in the process of trying to find new sheep and integrate them in that you forget about the old sheep that you've already integrated in. Now, that doesn't mean you have to know every single individual's life story and you have to meet with all of them one-to-one. -one, but it does mean that someone in your church ought to know who that is and how they're going. And actually, I would suggest also have ways of reporting that back to you so that you can keep watch over them as you've been called to do. And so in our context, this is far from the totality of what it means to keep watch over your people. Uh, but we've found that one of the most, uh, at least beginning steps to keep watch over our people is to know how everyone's going at a, a glance, tracking engagement. And so, for example, we've already heard our hosts mark attendance on a Sunday, our community group leaders mark attendance at community groups, and our ministry team keeps an eye on who's involved with ministry. So they are three very tangible and trackable things that can tell us, at least from a distance, how our people are going. 
Uh, we've recently, very recently, managed to pull all of this data into a sheet that syncs with our online database and actually enables us to see every member in our church with their Sunday and community group attendance as well as their ministry involvement over the last 12 weeks. And so um, we've got a data guy who loves this sort of stuff. So he's pulled all of this. So obviously I've taken the names out. Um, but the first column is community group attendance, sorry, Sunday attendance, paralleled next to community group attendance, paralleled next to serving teams. And so that, just at a glance, we've obviously got the names in our version, but that tells us who we ought to be paying attention to. It's just a real quick snapshot of what some of these things can look like. It's probably not going to look like that for your church unless you've got a data guru, um, but just some of these things help you to know how do we need to care for the various people in our church. That's what I say. I'm speaking to a room full of church leaders, so I assume uh, that most of you don't freak out at the idea of keeping track of people's attendance and engagement. Uh, but over the years, we have found actually that there's been a, a small handful of people who have either jokingly or semi seriously accused our church of being a little big brotherish, sort of just a bit too full on. Because um, we're quite open about the fact that we keep track of these things. Uh, now, if they think they've joined a spiritual gym, I get it. Because it's like, if I want you to be my spiritual personal trainer, I'll let you know. But until then, back off and just get away. Because it's creepy how much you keep tabs on me. The thing is, church isn't a spiritual gym. And in becoming members of a church, they sort of have given you permission as the leaders of church, and actually to others, to keep watch as we're commanded to do. And so I think personally you need to do it and need to find some way that it works in your context to be able to just keep track and keep watch over the people in your church. Because if you don't know who the people at your church are or how they're going, maybe you're dangerously close to a big crowd rather than a biblical church and that's a problem. Because remember, only biblical churches are going to glorify God. Only biblical churches are the place to love one another and result in spiritual transformation and only biblical churches um, are the final apologetic to a lost world. And I think they're the communities we need if we're going to reach Australia. 5.22, eight minutes, how about that? So where have we gone? Uh, what is this? Further resources, please visit. There you go. If you haven't already gone there, pretty much everything we've talked about is there. So go there. Um, but let's open up to questions in seven minutes. Kim, down the front. Just one question on the membership thing. Yeah. Obviously, put that under the five ends of things. Yeah. Um, if you're not asking people to sign it or whatever, mm. do you have? Do I have to do anything to vote at an AGM? Do you have an AGM? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's, if, it, if that's not the membership thing, what is it? Yeah, so I, um, I'm not going to answer the AGM question because it's not strictly speaking yet, because we're technically a fellowship of ENC, which is, just ignore that for a moment. Very shortly we will, uh, and so maybe we'll have to engage with that idea. But yeah, I think technically, as an Anglican church, there's probably a slightly different thing between a member voting uh, and what we consider biblical church membership. That Maybe we'll need to think that, but that would be a constitutional reality for us as an Anglican church, I would suspect. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't repeat that question. Beautiful, go for it. Uh, from Vine Church in Surrey Hills. Um, this might be too technical and I can come chat later, but in terms of your live dashboard from a Vine, are you using an API to sync it across? 
uh, too technical. Yeah, okay. Right. For me as later. well. Uh, yeah, I, I can try, but I'm not the person you want to talk to. Um, lots of questions. Let's uh, let's go over this side. Hey guys, thanks for tonight's being here. Glenn from New Life Christian Church. Uh, I'm very interested about running on board for ourselves, yep. but we have two services as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you do the Sunday service with two services? Great. So we've got two services. We used to have one at 10. We uh, closed one down, started one at 9 and one at 11. And so we, it still runs once a month, but it's the one on board course runs from 1 until 4 p.m. So it's pretty common for someone, if they're going to on board that week, to, and they go to 9 normally, to go to 11 and then stay behind. So that's how it works in our context. Hey, Tim. Yeah. Hey, Tim. Um, What's your thoughts on calling the, the previous pastor for a reference check, if you're concerned? And um, Peter Wood kind of, uh, in his sharing, uh, I guess, uh, shared about the, his experience of uh, letting, I think he's called human hand grenades come. That's what he said. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, share your thoughts on how you can be discerning at the beginning and if you've had some people come through your course, how, in any, maybe in your situation, how you might prevent explosions, I guess. <laughs> Particularly for a church plant when you just kind of want everybody at that early stage because you've got nobody. Yeah, um, various thoughts go through my head. The first is uh, when we first started, I was super conscious of not wanting to be seen as sheep stealing. And so any person that came that I knew was a member of another church and I knew that church, I would call them and say, hey, just checking. Now that actually ended up blowing up on me because one person didn't love their church. They were thinking about joining this church and I truncated that I spoke to the pastor, they sort of, it, it just went messy. And so in partly because of that negative experience, as well as sheer number now, it's slightly impractical for me to figure out who's your previous pastor and, and call them. Uh, we haven't done that. So we've really just tried to go, how can we build into our existing structures, um, getting to know people's story a little bit so we can filter some of that out. By the time, except with our very first, you know, someone comes to Sunday and then they stay for on board, oftentimes we know a little bit about them and so we can arrange a catch-up to suss out one or two more things and then have some of those conversations from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah with your uh, membership crete, if you get to the end of your three hours and someone still doesn't agree mm. with it, what do you do there? Do you Amy catch up a, again? Amy has a perfect little line. Do I? Uh, we, don't, we, we don't care that you join this church. Oh, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Actually, at the start of On Board, we say that this is your time to, you know, inquire about this church, get to know it. And if at the end of the time you have the opportunity to, you, ha you do have the opportunity to join Grace City Church, although back on that previous question, depending on who's in the crowd, sometimes I don't use that language. Uh, but back to your question, um, then we say, look, if you still want to keep thinking about it and visiting this church, that's great too. Take your time. Or if you've decided that this isn't the church for you, that's okay as well. We're always a bit sad. But we are much more passionate about you connecting with a Bible-believing church than rather connecting with this Bible-believing church. So let us help you find somewhere that's local or appropriate for you um, is the way we love to do it. And that's how we actually feel. That's how we feel. Oh, perfect. Um, so you put a lot of emphasis on um, connecting into a church. Is like 
um, to do with the hosts. So how do you go about um, if you're in working in an M-structured church and uh, that host falls under membership, how do you go about um, recruiting for your hosts because that would fall under ministry. How, as a membership rep, do you filter through? Do you work with ministry? Massive conflict of interest right here. I'm both. <laughs> 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 so at uh, our church, we actually don't allow any of our key leaders to um, directly approach any of our church members to join a ministry team. They need to go through the relevant ministry process. So if I wanted more hosts, I would say to the ministry rep, which is conveniently myself, I need more hosts. <laughs> and then the ministry rep would go, great, well, we also need two kids leaders and a drummer. So I'm going to weigh up the pros and cons and the odds and ends and the skills and the people in the life of church. Um, the helpful thing is in terms of you know, all the different ministries, you know, they all have a bit of a different bar and they all have a different commitment level in terms of time and availability on a Sunday. So um, being in the band or being a kids leader has a much higher time commitment. So straight away, um, actually hosting is a little bit easier, but you also just don't want anyone and everyone being a host. But basically the way our whole church system works is they need to go to the ministry rep first. Yeah. Now we've got last question over here. Um, in our church, baptism is a very important step for people to take and often people consider that's the point where they um, belong to the church. They feel like they're a member when they take that step of public baptism. Is that important in your membership? Um, yeah, so in our context, if uh, you remember our five circles, uh, we... Often we hold them as regularly as we can. It's normally at least twice a year in our context that we'll have, if you like, a baptism Sunday, and that will be the baptism of people. Now, um, we don't just for what it's. This is I'm going to talk uh, new Christians for just a moment. We don't ask people for the record of their baptism as a kid or as an adult before we allow them into membership. We're talking specifically Christians. Sorry, new Christians. Someone comes along to church, they're not a Christian, they'll go through explore, go through that process, they'll get converted. Uh, they may stay in that for a while and get baptised during that process. They may go, awesome, I've done that, I'm jumping into on board, then I'm joining a community group. And it may, depending on the calendar, just be a little later when they actually get baptised. Uh, so for us, we still encourage baptism and we want to baptise everyone we can just to keep raising the temperature on conversion, but it's not a strict step for us. You must be baptised before you can do on board. Baptisms? Uh, we, historically, it's a Good Friday and uh, in um, our kind of vision series around October. Okay, so twice, if, if not twice somewhere, If not somewhere else in between. Great. Can you guys uh, give the, them a round of applause and say thank you?